if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. We're looking at chapter 11 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 22. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 22. If you do not have a Bible, then I invite you to take the Pew Bible there, and it's on page 901 in the Pew Bible. 901 in the Pew Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verses 17 through 22. Uh, usually every year I, uh, I try to go in for a wellness visit just to kind of get a checkup, make sure everything's working right, cholesterol is where it needs to be, blood pressure is where it needs to be, all those kind of things, right? And so I want to take care of myself, and so I, I do that every year. Uh, I found over the years, though, that uh, one thing that can hinder a person person's health is unhealthy attitudes, an unhealthy attitude, uh, or un- unhealthy attitudes, uh, they, can, they can hinder a person's health. It's not just about what you eat and drink and all that kind of stuff. Uh, sometimes it's about the attitude that you have toward your own health. Attitude of, of indifference or, or pessimism can, can really ruin your health. Well, you know, even in church, unhealthy attitudes can lead to an unhealthy church. Unhealthy attitudes can indeed lead to an unhealthy church. So we need to make sure that we have right attitudes in the church so that we can be a healthy church. Now, as Paul has been going through 1 Corinthians, he's been dealing with several different problems. Uh, He's looked at factionalism, the divisions that were in the church, these kind of political parties that were going on. Some were saying, I follow Paul, I follow Peter, I follow Apollos. And so they were causing divisions in that way. He's dealt with sexual immorality that was pervading the church, idolatry. Now he is dealing with with some problems that are taking place in the worship setting itself. So last week, we talked about the importance of maintaining gender distinctions in the church. That was a problem then. It's a problem in our day as well. And so we've got to maintain those gender distinctives. Uh, But this week, as we continue on, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 22, in this this little section here, he addresses some unhealthy relational attitudes that are causing unnecessary divisions within the church. And and there's a connection here between these unhealthy attitudes and the Lord's Supper. It's kind of all coming together. So the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at the Lord's Supper, and this is feeding into that. Today, we need to understand that healthy attitudes lead to a healthy church. Healthy attitudes lead to a healthy church just as unhealthy attitudes lead to an unhealthy church. And so to understand this and to establish this fact, we're going to see here that there's three unhealthy relational attitudes that this church in Corinth have. Uh, and so we're going to point out these three unhealthy relational attitudes. And we need to understand this is, there, there's a lot of attitudes that can make a church unhealthy. These are dealing particularly with relations, relationships within the church. So these are relational attitudes. 
Now, as we get into this text, we need to understand the context because they didn't do church like we do church. Uh, it was different. They were, in first century church, they didn't have a building like we have. They went to church at house churches. And so in Corinth, as Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, he's, he's writing to several different house churches within the city of Corinth. House churches would typically meet in the homes of the more wealthy church members because the more wealthy church members had room to fit you know, a larger group of people. So in a typical house group, you might have 30 to 50 people in the house worshiping together. And so if, if you, know, you lived over here in this neighborhood, you went to this guy's house and you gathered together for worship. In that worship service... Uh, they were better than Baptists. When they got together for worship, every time they got together for worship, just about, uh, they enjoyed a fellowship meal together. So they had potluck every Sunday, right? Potluck every Sunday. They got together and they fellowshiped. And then after this fellowship meal, or in, as part of the fellowship meal, they would celebrate and observe the Lord's Supper together. So that's the context that we, that we are looking at as we, we read what follow, what I'm about to read. So this is in view of they are enjoying worship together, they're coming together for this fellowship meal, and then they're working in the Lord's Supper in this meal. And Paul sees there's some big, major problems with how they are organizing this, how they are observing the Lord's Supper, how they are conducting this fellowship meal and so we need to see that there's some negative attitudes some unhealthy attitudes that are apparent in this this part of their worship service so if you found your place there in first corinthians chapter 11 please stand with me in reverence to the, to the reading of god's holy word hear the word of the lord but in the following instructions i do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for... In eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I come to you and shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. So in this paragraph, in this text, we see three unhealthy relational attitudes in this church of Corinth. The first unhealthy relational attitude that we see here is the attitude of partiality. The attitude of partiality. Look what he says there in the first couple of, of verses. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. Right? The church should come together to accomplish something good. 
But that's not the case here. They're not coming together for the better, but for the worse. There's, there's problems there. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. Now imagine that. I mean, Paul, you can kind of hear the sarcasm here in his voice. When you come together as the church, as the assembly, right? As you come together as the assembly of Christ, there's divisions among you. I mean, that's just hypocritical. You're saying you're coming together. You're saying you're coming together as the assembly of the, as the church of God, but yet there are these divisions among you. And I believe it in part for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine might be, may be recognized. Now, understand that in church, there are sometimes natural divisions, right? There are sometimes natural divisions. We, we see divisions, in a sense, in our church even. We, we divide up in our life groups, and our life groups typically go something like by age or by gender or, or just by interest. And, and so you tend to, to go in and, and you tend to socialize with, with those who have more in common with you. And so we have those kind of natural divisions that are in a church and if, if you have more than uh, say 12 people those divisions are, are just going to naturally occur but to have those kind of divisions it is different than when you say that there's factions when there's factions you see factions indicates that there's there's strife right there's strife there's this pulling apart these groups are are not just dividing and and, and you know kind of fellowshipping together they're dividing and, and there's this tension between them and, and that's what paul is getting at here it's not this natural division uh, because of of interest but there's these divisions over uh, over issues that are causing divisions and strife among the congregants there and, and it's those kinds of divisions this this unhealthy factionalism that paul is addressing here We've already seen it in the church. He's already addressed it in the sense that there were those who were, were dividing up, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Peter, I follow whoever. And, and so there were those divisions over leadership. But now we see that there's a, a deeper division here as well. And this division, we're going to see, has to do with the socioeconomical classes within the church. They're dividing over, over wealth in a sense over social positions as in a sense and, and so that is causing friction it's causing strife within the church and so paul is addressing that issue there must be divisions among you and then he clarifies it even more uh, for for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized now that word genuine there it usually has an indication of those who are proven faithful. Those who are proven faithful. And, and there's some the conversations out there in the, the scholarly world as to what Paul is getting at here. But it seems to me in the context of this verse, Paul is using this in a sense of irony. He's using it in an ironic sense. It, there must be some divisions. There must be factions among you so that those who are genuine among you uh, may be recognized. He is, he's understanding that they're, they're, they're making these divisions in the church. 
And, and there's some in the church who are kind of getting elevated to higher positions, and not necessarily because of their, their spirituality, but because of, of their social stature in the community. He's recognizing that, that they're dividing up in what we might call the, the varsity team and the B team. Uh, there's a group there that are exalting themselves and say, yes, we're the mature of the church. Yeah, we, we run the church. Yeah, it's all on us. Uh, we got, we, we're the ones. Uh, you guys over there, you're, you're the B team. You're not so important. And so they're making these divisions. They're making these uh, divisions in the church. And, and this is in the context of that fellowship meal. This is where it's taking place. Now, imagine the first century church. Not like a building like this. It's in a home, a large home, because it's in the home of a, a wealthy uh, community, a wealthy church member. In these large homes, in the wealthy homes, they typically had a main dining room. And this is where they had all their, their parties and stuff like that. So they had this main dining room, and it was a fairly large dining room, but it typically fit, seated uh, about nine people. They had these little tables. They, had three, they would have three tables in there, and then three people would sit around each table, and they would kind of make a U-shape around those tables. And then the servants would come in, and they would walk into the U and serve the people at each table. And so these main dining rooms would seat about nine people. Nine people. Now, uh, do the numbers. There's nine people in the main dining room, but uh, these churches typically ran somewhere between 30 and 50 people. Where does everyone else go? Well, they go down the hall to the atrium to this larger room, uh, and they would kind of just push them in there. And, and this was common in, in the first century. This was a common way to do, me, to do meals in the, the Roman world. So you would have your, your, your dignitaries, if you will. Right? Uh, they would be seated in the main dining room. Those who were considered to be the, the socially upper class, they would be seated in the main dining room. And if you didn't quite meet the, the criteria to get into the main dining room, and then, then you got pushed on down there to the atrium with everybody else, and, and you just kind of crowded them in however. And, and this was the way it, it worked. And they would seat people even in the the main dining room, they would seat people according to their social status. And so if you were higher up on the social ladder, well, you got to sit at the head seat. If you were lower down on the social ladder, well, you got one of these lesser seats. And if you had no social status, then you got pushed down to the atrium. And this was the common way of doing things, and it seems like this is what's taking place here in the Corinthian churches. Scripture indicates such a thing. Matthew chapter 23, verse 6, Jesus says about the scribes and the Pharisees, they love the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogue. So even in the Jewish culture, there was this, this uh, hierarchy of seating. And we see it as well in the Roman culture, and Paul is dealing with that. When they're coming together as a church, they have the main banquet room, and those who are in higher social status, they're going into the main dining room. They're getting the good food, 
they're getting the best service, and then the rest of the church, all the poor folks, they're, have, they're getting pushed down to the atrium, just crowd in wherever, and, and you get fed whatever. And Paul says this kind of division is not going to work. These kind of divisions aren't, aren't, aren't what the church is all about. We're called to be an assembly. We're called to be one in Christ. There is no longer rich or poor. There's no longer male or female. There's no longer these, these divisions, but we're one in Christ. This idea of partialism, this, this attitude of partiality is unhealthy. It's unhealthy, and it's, it's wrecking this church in court, and it wrecks churches left and right today. A healthy attitude, that's unhealthy. Unhealthy attitude is partiality. A healthy church shows no partiality. A healthy church shows no partiality. The, a healthy church doesn't make these distinctions. And that's exactly what James gets, gets at. In James chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in the good place. While you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who dragged you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you already, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by, convicted by the law as transgressors. So the command for the church, the attitude that the church must have is an attitude of no partiality. We don't divide up. We don't recognize people because of their social status. Right? We don't elevate people because of who they are in the community. There are no more of those divisions. There are no, there are no longer Jews, Greeks, right? No Jews, Gentiles, male, female, slave, free man. All of those distinctions have faded away in Christ because we are one in Christ. Every single one of us, no matter what we have in this world, before the throne of God, we are sinners saved by God's grace. The church must show no partiality. So the first relational attitude of an unhealthy church is partiality. The second relational attitude of an unhealthy church is this, selfishness. It is selfishness. 
Look what Paul says there in verse 20. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. So again, uh, these, these fellowship meals would, would end up in observation of the Lord's Supper. So they would begin to eat, and then at some point in time, later on in the meal, whoever was kind of leading the, the thing would, would come up, maybe the preacher, the elder of the church, he would, he would stand up and, and he would start administering the Lord's Supper, just like Jesus did. And, and so they would celebrate the Lord's Supper. Paul says, it's not the Lord's Supper that, that you're observing here. No, uh, what's happening is... is uh, some are just going on with the, the meal, going on with evening, uh, while others are going hungry. Now again, here we have a contextual issue that we have to think about. In, in this first century era, uh, they are meeting in this rich person's home. Of course, there's a mixture of those who are wealthy and those who are poor in this church. They met, met on the first day of the week on Sunday, but this was a work day. It was a work day. In Roman culture, every day was a work day uh, for those who are of lower status. And, and so you think about a work day and the rich, they're coming together because hey, they don't have to do as much. Maybe they worked earlier in the day, but now it's evening and they come together and they go on with the meal. They start the meal. They start to eat when all the, the poor congregants, uh, they're still at work. Right? They're still out in the fields. They have to work till, till it's dark. And then they come in, and, and those who are wealthy, those who, who haven't had to work until dark, they've already been uh, feasting for some time now. And then here comes the poor worker, the servants who are, are coming in, and, and they've had a hard day. The, they haven't had anything to eat, and they get to church, and there's nothing left. There's nothing left. Furthermore, and, and this was recorded in history, uh, some of the ancient literature records that at, at many of the Roman banquets like this, you had those in the main dining room there, they were served the best food. They're, they're the dignitaries. They're the social elite. So, of course, they got the best food, the best steak, the best bread, the best wine. It all went into the main dining room and the servants came in and, and they would refresh their drinks and, and all of that sort of thing and, and so those who are in the main dining room uh, they're as Paul says being drunk in other words they're they're eating and drinking in excess but down here at the atrium they kind of get the leftovers they just kind of get whatever's left whatever's not getting taken into the main dining room that's what they get and that's what's happening you got the, the main guys, the, the more wealthy folks in, in the main dining room, and they're eating in excess. They're just gorging themselves on, on the good food. And you got the poor folks down in the atrium. They're all crowded in, huddled in together, and, and they just get a sip of, of wine, maybe. Uh, they may get a, a little bit of bread to eat, but they're going hungry. And they've been out working all day. And so what you have here in this church is this spirit of selfishness. 
there's a spirit of selfishness. You have the one group who's elite, they've set themselves apart from everyone else, and they're gorging themselves while everybody else is going hungry. And Paul says, you're selfish. You're selfish. This is not the Lord's Supper that you are observing. In fact, it's absolutely in contradiction to the Lord's Supper. Because as we're going to look at next week, the Lord's Supper remembers the sacrifice, the selfless sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He who had it all gave it all up to become nothing, to come and walk on this earth, to selfishly sacrifice Himself for our salvation. And yet, in this fellowship meal, there are people who are gorging themselves selfishly while others are going hungry. And this is a, an attitude of a modern church, isn't it? Especially here in the West. This, this attitude of selfishness, uh, that's the, the attitude of what I like to call Mac Church. Right? Mac Church, we've we got to have it our way. It, it, it's like going through the drive-thru when you come to church. All right, what do they have on the menu for me? What can the church offer me? And if the church has nothing to offer me, then I'm going to go on down the street here to that church who does have something to offer me. Because it's all about me. And my life. I don't care about anybody else. What about me? What about my family? And that's the attitude that pervades the church. People are in it all for themselves. And it's absolutely in contradiction to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came not to be served, but to serve. A healthy church is a selfless church. A healthy church is a selfless church. A healthy church looks out for those who have less. A healthy church looks to others as more important than themselves. As Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4 say, Do nothing from selfish ambition or in conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And you know the rest of it. Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself. He made himself nothing. He took the form of a servant, and being found in the likeness of a man, he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that's who we follow. That's who we are to emulate. It's not about me. 
It's not about me. It's not what the church can do for me. It's about what I can do for the church. A healthy church is a selfless church. So, unhealthy attitudes or relational attitudes of an unhealthy church, partiality, selfishness, and third, callousness. Callousness. Absolute callousness. Now, we need to understand the reality is that in this fallen world, there will always be haves and have-nots. In this fallen world, there will always be the rich and there will be poor and everything in between. That's always going to be the case. And and let me me make, make sure you understand here that if you have, right, if God has blessed you with wealth, you shouldn't be ashamed of your wealth. You should give praise to God for your wealth. He has blessed you with that. Everything that we have, it is from above. Every good gift that we have is from above, from God. He has given you that. He has blessed you with that wealth. Praise God for your wealth. Thank Him for your wealth. And glorify God and His kingdom with your wealth. Absolutely. But at the same time, don't use your wealth to belittle others, to make others seem small. That's what Paul is getting at here in the next few verses. What, verse 22, what? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who? who have nothing. Paul's saying, don't flaunt your wealth. Don't flaunt your wealth. That's what some of these guys are doing. They're flaunting their wealth. They're flaunting their position in society. Yes, look at us. We're on the top of the ladder. We're going to feast and be full. Oh, you poor little thing down there. You have not. But look at me. I have. They're flaunting their wealth. They're flaunting their social position. And Paul says, don't you have houses to eat in? It's not that you have wealth. Eat at home. Eat at home. Get your fill at home. You can afford it, right? So eat at home. But don't flaunt your wealth before those who have not. Don't flaunt it before those who don't have. You shouldn't flaunt your wealth. You shouldn't flaunt the things that God has blessed you with and use those things to humiliate others. Don't humiliate others. Paul says there, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? Don't flaunt your wealth and don't humiliate those who don't have wealth. That's a callous attitude. It's a callous attitude. Have you ever been around someone who had more than you and they made sure you knew it? Not just wealth. Wealth is one of those places, absolutely, but we're not just talking about wealth here. It could be a number of things. It could be wealth. It could be skill. I mean, imagine playing basketball with 
Michael Jordan. And he, like, holds back nothing. He just comes at you hard, and it's like 100 to zero. How small would you feel? Or it could be intelligence. It could be a number of things. Now, right now, I'm, I'm in class, right? I'm working on my doctorate. And so I've been in class for a long time. 47 years old, still going to school. I mean, something's wrong with that. But, uh, but I, I've been in a lot of classrooms, and I've been around a, a lot of very, very intelligent people. And, and there were some of those intelligent people, they made sure you knew how intelligent they were. And they would do so by making you feel that small, just you felt stupid around them. And, and that's what they wanted. But then I've been around some who were just so gracious, so loving. They, they, knew, they were smart folks, right? They were intelligent, high IQ. Yet instead of boasting in their intelligence, man, they made you feel smart. I had one, one professor back in, in uh, South, at Southwestern Seminary, Dr. Malcolm Yarnell. Dr. Yarnell is extremely, he's extremely, extremely intelligent man. I, I read some of his, his work, and I, I had heard him speak and lecture, and, and, I mean, he just thought on another level. He did. Uh, so he was highly intelligent. Uh, well, then I got to take a class with him, and I was kind of nervous. This was a class on the, the Trinity, I mean, Wow, okay, that, just the subject matter is a, a little scary. Uh, but then you go in through there with Dr. Yarnell and, and all of his intelligence, and I was a little nervous going into that class. But you know what? Dr. Yarnell was so gracious. He was so gracious. He didn't flaunt his intelligence. He didn't try to make us feel small next to him. But yet he encouraged us. He encouraged us. He was compassionate towards us. And, and he is one of the reasons that I, I went on and, and, you know, thought, man, I could probably pers you know, pursue a, a doctorate because he encouraged me so much. He made me feel smart. He made me feel like I could do it. And you see, that's the way we are to be in the church. We're not to be callous. We're to be compassionate. We're to be compassionate. We're to have an attitude of compassion towards others. We're not to flaunt what we have and try to make ourselves feel big. But we're to humble ourselves. We're to encourage others. We're to elevate and exalt others and make them feel big. The church must be compassionate. We have to be compassionate, not callous. Let callousness not be an attribute of our church. But let us be a church of compassion. Godly compassion. A healthy church is a compassionate church. We want to be a healthy church. We want to be a healthy church. I know everyone here, you want to be a member of a healthy 
church. And you know what? I think we're doing pretty good. I think we're doing pretty good relationally. And, and, and first pastor, I think we're doing well. Uh, we've, we've built some relationships over the last few years, in fact. And, and we've, we've kind of made that a, our thing, right? We, we fellowship. We love one another. We come together. So I think we're, I think we're doing pretty good. But you know, we're all human. And, and so we all need a little work. As you, are, as you hear these unhealthy attitudes, perhaps you have identified maybe some problem areas in your own life. Maybe, maybe you've been a little uncompassionate towards other people. Maybe, maybe you see some, some callousness in your life. Maybe you see some selfishness in your life. Maybe you've identified some of those attributes today. Maybe not fully, maybe not as much as Corinth has, but, but maybe you just see the seeds of those even in your life. They're, they're creeping back into your life. Then today, I want you to just ask God, ask Christ to help you in that. We've got to understand as sinners, as sinners, we kind of have a tendency towards the unhealthy we have a tendency towards callousness. We have a tendency towards selfishness, for sure. We have a tendency towards these bad attitudes. We need Christ to come in and empower us, give us the healthy attitudes so that we can be a healthy church. So I want you to ask Christ today, if you uh, have identified some of these negatives negative attitudes in your own life ask christ to give you the power to overcome the negative attitude and replace it with the positive attitudes ultimately you know we must realize there was only one who had perfect healthy attitudes in all regards and that was jesus christ christ shows no partiality he shows no partiality. He is the pure image of selflessness. And he is compassionate above, above measure. Dear friend, if you are here, or you're listening, and, and maybe you're thinking to yourself, God can never love me. He can never love me because I, I am so callous. I am so selfish. He can never love me. He can never save me. I want you to know that Jesus Christ shows no partiality. He shows no partiality. When he was hanging on that cross with the thief hanging beside him, when the thief said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, Jesus said, he had compassion, and he said, today you will be with me in paradise. He shows no partiality. He selfish, selfishly gave himself for you so that you might be forgiven and that you might be saved and come into his eternal kingdom. And he is pure compassion. He will build you up. He will encourage you in your walk. All you must do is trust in him. Trust in him today. Give your life to him. If you've never trusted in Jesus, turn to him today. Give your life to him.
he will certainly save you. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. As you make us aware, Lord, we, we, just, we confess as sinners, Lord, that we, we see these attitudes. Each and every one of us likely see traces of these attitudes in our life because we're sinners. And Lord, we need your grace to save us. We need your grace to empower us, to instill in us the healthy attitudes. So Lord, as your church, we desire to be a healthy church. And we desire, oh Lord, that you would remove the unhealthy attitudes and replace them with healthy ones. Oh Lord, let us show no partiality. Let us be selfless in our service to you and to your kingdom and to even to this world, to the lost, that they may know you. And Lord, let us always show compassion. Oh, Father, certainly today there's those who are either here or listening online, watching from online, Lord, if there's any who, who've never trusted in Christ, Lord, I pray that you would pierce their hearts today and let them turn to Jesus. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.